Well, that was just awesome, wasn't it? Wow, thank you, Chris, so much. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we, uh, Lord, I, I just pray for us the message of that song. I pray we are amazed. I pray we are overwhelmed and utterly amazed by your love and what that love has done in our lives, what it has accomplished to wash all our sins away. Lord, I know we come in here today with all kinds of things that we're dealing with, all kinds of things that we need from you. Lord, I pray that the love that was just sung about in that song, I pray that love would minister in each and every person. I pray that love would minister in each and every situation. May there be no greater hope. May there be no greater excitement. May there be no greater thing in our life than to know my Savior loves me. There's no guilt. There's no fear. I don't have to worry about God finding anything out. It's all been taken care of by my Savior. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, now we, we come to a time in our service to open your word. Lord, I pray we don't approach that as a, a book of rules, of hoops to jump through. But God, this book describes for us what touches your heart. It describes for us how we can love you. How we can live like a people who are loved and forgiven. How we can live in a way to enjoy what Jesus has purchased for us. So God, we come now to give time, devotion, attention, to understanding your voice and your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I've got a couple of guys I'm going to help uh, have help get me started this morning. Michael Johnson coming over here from uh, the piano and Rick Bedford, both uh, actually involved with our music ministry. Come on in here and you take that middle seat. Uh, these guys are uh, both been very active in our church for a long time now. Both military guys, retired uh, Marine here and, and Army here. Uh, the both, I say longtime members of the church. Uh, Michael's actually left us disgruntled over some different issues, the pastor and some things like that, but he's back to date. No, actually, uh, he has left. Uh, he was at Fort Lee, served his time there, and is in Washington now for a tour of duty, and, uh, but is in Virginia Beach for, for a couple months, right? So gets to join us and be a part of our music ministry again. The reason I've asked both of these guys to come and help me get started this morning is, as you might, many of you know, last week we talked about uh, giving, about tithing, and both of them have uh, shared a story with me just about how that came about in their lives. I thought it was a, a very challenging story, very encouraging and story. And, uh, you know, as I told them, as a matter of fact, I didn't tell this to the last crowd. I always think it helps uh, for y'all to hear them because, you know, when you hear me do it, I'm not a real person. You know, I, I know how y'all think out there. He's not real. Uh, but these are real people. Uh, and I just wanted them to come and share a little bit about that. And so, guys, uh, again, my question, just to kind of get us started, is tell us a little bit how you came into an understanding of of tithing, how you started that in your life, and kind of the ease of doing that. I'd say that was kind of a pun. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, uh, I grew up in a family that uh, we we gave, but we didn't tithe. And um, uh, as as a young adult, I uh, continued the same um, you know way the same practice, and always always been in church. Uh, uh, came to know the Lord at a young age, and uh, we gave, but we never tithed. And God just put it on our hearts uh, several years ago that, you know, this is, an, is something out of obedience that, that, that we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and we, we, we started tithing. And uh, it, was, it, it, it was tough. I mean, just, just doing the math. I mean, it was, it, it was tough. But, you know, we, we, 
we serve a God that can wash our sins away like Chris just sang about, that same God is not bound by the laws of mathematics yeah. like we are. So uh, it, was, it was something that, that we felt that we needed to do, and, 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 and we just did it. Yeah, but it wasn't easy. It was not easy. It wasn't easy. How, how about you, Michael? Yeah, well, I grew up in a, a Christian family that, um, that taught the principle of tithing, and I, I don't, I probably a lot of you parents uh, encourage your children to give a dime for every dollar of their allowance or something like that. And I did the same thing growing up. But as I uh, became a young man and kind of got out on my own, really as a college student, was married in college, and realized that, boy, um, money's kind of hard to come by. Um, it's at that time, I, you know, you start to make kind of deals with God. Um, and like, well, I can't really afford it this month. <laughs> and maybe I'll tithe a little extra next month or give a little extra or maybe 1% will be good enough or, well, I, I got to pay off some debts and the Lord wants me to be debt yeah, free. Amen. <laughs> so I will just, I'll pay those off. And when I get those paid off, then I'll start um, giving to the Lord again. And we, my wife and I both just began to be really convicted about that a couple of years ago. Um, here, once we uh, joined this church, some of the challenges that, that Pastor Randy brought to us as a congregation, some of the testimonies that we heard, and both of us just became of one mind with the Lord and, and decided, you know, we really need to just commit to the Lord to give um, 10% of our gross income. No matter what happens, the first thing every month, those checks are written to the church, and we will just see what the Lord does with that obedience. So that's that's commitment we made. Yeah, and and what is matter of fact, we'll we'll start with you because I feel like you're kind of leading that direction with that statement. What have been some of the blessings uh, from from getting this difficult discipline, this difficult practice into your life? Well, one of the things, um, the one instance, really kind of. Um, really grabbed hold of us and, and made us realize that the Lord is going to provide for our needs. We moved to Virginia a few years back with one vehicle, family of five, and when I was gone on a weekend temporary duty, uh, my wife ended up on the side of the road uh, with our van dead. And the, the, <laughs> Praise the, the Lord. The vehicle was dead, <laughs> not my wife. Um, just, to be cl- just to clarify. And... And we thought, well, Lord, just a few months ago, we had committed to give, and we thought, you know, this is when you're going to bless us. Why are you bringing us through this challenge and this, this struggle right now? Um, how are we going to afford to either get this fixed, which would have cost hundreds of dollars, or to replace it, which the vehicle was on its last legs anyway? Well, we ended up praying about it, and the Lord led us to purchase a vehicle on faith, <laughs> mind you. How are, we, we still ask the question, how are we going to pay for this? And within a few weeks, literally, the Lord had provided a little extra income for us, above and beyond what it was going to take to pay for that vehicle. And we just felt, we were just so gracious, and, and it was just a, one instance of where God really provided for our needs, and we just have remained faithful to that. And it hasn't been easy. Um, there have been months that have been tight, but God always provides every one of our needs. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Rick? Well, uh, really, really two things. And uh, one of those things is, you know, you, you hear folks often say that God makes the 90% go farther than the 100% ever did. But it's true. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's absolutely been true in, in, in the lives of, of, uh, of my family. 
it's, uh, it's just amazing how uh, the 90% does go above and beyond that. And we've been blessed ever, ever since then with you know, job opportunities like, like Michael mentioned. And, and uh, God's just blessed our lives uh, since we uh, uh, surrendered to, uh, to do this. And also uh, something I, I, I forgot to mention in the first service, uh, you know, when we give, you know, we also give to, you know, when we give to the church, we give as part of the cooperative program. Mm -hmm. and, and that program, you know, allows the dollars that, that we put in to go to, to the far ends of the earth and touch people for Christ. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what greater, uh, um, you know, personal gift to, it, could it be to us? to be able to contribute to the work of God worldwide. Yeah. And it's yeah. just been a blessing for us as well. My wife works at the, uh, the International Missions Board, so, so right. she, she sees the impact of uh, some of this firsthand. Yeah. And it's just uh, been a real blessing for us. And probably made in between, serve in between services that you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I, I love that, that statement. Just, you know, the blessing of just seeing what God can do. And, and when we don't do that, then we totally remove from him that opportunity to show us what he can do. You know, I, I know just from so many years of doing this, a lot of folks out there, they, they believe this and they, and they want to do it. But as you both have alluded to, whether it's doing the math or just, you know, the difficulty of it, and they're sitting out there day, they're thinking, I, 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 I can't do it. I mean, I'm sinking right now. And, and to talk about what you're talking about, it's just an impossibility for me. What, what, what statement would you make to, to encourage them to take that step of faith? Well, um, I would go home and put together a, a zero-based budget, uh, put tithing at the top of the list, and everything fall underneath that. Like Michael said, uh, God wants us to, to be out of debt. The, the Bible says that the, uh, the lender is a slave to the, uh, to the uh, borrower. borrower. The, yeah, the yeah. borrower, yeah. I had it backwards, yeah, we but know you know what I mean. Going. <laughs> um, but, uh, but go home and do that and, and, just, and just trust God. Yeah. We, we serve an awesome God, and, 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 if, you're, and if we're faithful... To, to obey what he's told us to do, he's going to give us the means to do it. Yeah, yeah I would just challenge you to, to pray about it. The Lord will convict your heart. And, and, and as the book of Malachi says, chapter 3, he says, bring in the whole tithe to the, to the storehouse and just test the Lord and see if he won't just open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out his blessings on you. And it's that obedience, that step of obedience that I just challenge you. My, my wife and I have made a, a commitment to the Lord to tithe off of the gross of our income to give that first fruits. And uh, that's a challenge I would, I would leave you with. Just test the Lord. He will provide. He will make a way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Michael, appreciate you guys sharing this area of your life with us today. them sharing that, that encouragement. Uh, to, speaking of encouragement, I want to encourage you to, to read a book. This is one I just finished, and it's an awesome book. It'll help every area of your life. It's by Andy Stanley, and it's called The Best Question Ever. The Best Question Ever, and the subtitle is A Revolutionary Approach to Decision-Making. And I'm going to tell you the best question ever. I, I almost feel like I'm giving the story away. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't tell you, by the way, the best question on the first page. You, you have to read about a third of the book to get to the best question ever. And uh, even though I tell you the question, I would encourage you to get the book and understand how he got that and develops it and applies it to different areas of life. But the best question is very simply this. What is the wise thing to do? 
What is the wise thing to do? And you know, in this book, he, he does a good job of showing that it is possible and, and probable in many of our lives that sometimes we get ourselves in a jam. Sometimes we make a real mess of things. And you know what? It's not because we, we sinned. It's not even because we made a wrong choice, but clearly we did not make the wise choice. It's really profound how he, how he shows that and develops what is happening in a lot of our lives simply because we do not make the wise decision. In the latter half of the book, he, he goes on to take then this question, this principle, and apply it to specific areas of life. One of those, he's got a whole chapter on, on finances and money. And in that, he, uh, he's talking about that. He makes this statement. I want you to listen to this. I, I think this is really cool. He says, so what's happening? Why is it so easy for us to abandon common sense in the one area where it is easiest to monitor and predict outcomes? Why do we spend so foolishly? Why do we finance things that are immediately worth 10 to 20% less once we exit the store? Why would we make ourselves slaves to financial institutions who don't even know our names? Why do we intentionally strap on the unnecessary pressure that comes with debt and then complain about it? Is it greed? Maybe. Is it stupidity? I hope not. Are we all just consumed with keeping up with people around us? I'm sure that's part of it. But I think there's something else that keeps us on the financial treadmill. We have allowed culture to influence the way we manage money by teaching us to ask all the wrong questions. Now, now listen to some of these questions that are wrong. I, I would not have thought most of these were wrong questions, especially this first one. This is a wrong question. Can I afford it? That's the wrong question. What will the monthly payment be? How much can I borrow? Is it on sale? How much available equity do I have in my home? Is it cheaper to lease? The assumption is that if I can make it work financially, I should make it work financially. If I can afford it, I should afford it. If I can borrow it, I should borrow it. How easily we forget that nobody in the retail, automobile, or mortgage industry has the least concern about the health of our financial future or the stability of our current financial picture. They are concerned only with our financial history and they adjust their interest rates accordingly. In other words, the people that we allow... Listen to this statement. The people that we allow to influence our financial decisions are not concerned about how our financial decisions affect us. I, I think this whole thing is a very profound concept. Perhaps a lot of my financial decisions are being guided by, by principles and people that don't even care about how I'm doing with my finances. This concept that because I can afford it, doesn't mean it's the wise thing to afford it. Because I can borrow it doesn't mean that it's wise that I do borrow it. Best question ever is, what is the wise thing to do? Of course, that begs the question, well, how do you know what the wise thing to do is? Well, folks, you might remember me saying last week, this book in the area of finances and, of course, in, the area of ev in every area of life, but in the area of finances, it answers, it gives commands, it gives principles to every financial decision you ever have made, to every financial decision you ever will make. 
It speaks to your financial philosophies. It speaks to your financial practices. And it will never lead you astray. You know, as I said last week, sometimes when we approach money in church, we think it's about the church getting it from you. Folks, every time God speaks to money, it's for our benefit. It is for our well-being that He speaks to every person at every income level and gives you commands and principles that work. Now, what we want to try to do today is look into God's Word and start developing a, a proper understanding of our resources. And then once we have that understanding, we want to develop a, a, a proper attitude, a, a, a proper action list of what we do with our money. And, and even before we get to that, I think we need to hear, we need to see, money matters. It matters a lot. You know, Jesus told 38 parables, at least that we know of in the New Testament. 38 parables, 16 of them. Almost half of them have to do with money and possessions. You can turn to Scripture and five about, find about 500 verses on prayer. You can find about 500 verses on faith. You find over 2,300 verses on money and possessions. You think, my gosh, why? Why is there so much in Scripture on money? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, money always determines our priorities. It sets the direction of our heart. It sets the priorities of our life. We can go to any person in this room, look through your checking ledger, look through your credit card statement, and every time it'll show what is important in this home, what is the priority of this life. So it sets our life. That's why it's so significant. Another reason it's so important is because so much of life is touched by just the use of money. Think about how much your marriage is touched by the use of money. And that's not always a positive statement, is it? So much of our life is touched by finances. A third reason is, is number one, false God. We can have more than one false God in our life. And, and, and at different times in our life, we deal with multiple false gods. Money's pretty universal. Money's almost always there, always an issue. So man, we not only need a good understanding of our finances. We need God's understanding of our finances. So let's try to do that today. Let's develop a, a proper understanding, just a starting point. Man, not an exhaustive look at all, just a starting point of understanding our resources. And the first point we need to, need, know, need to know is pretty simple. God owns it all. Everything we have belongs to Him. You say, well, how do you know that? Because God says it over and over and over. Here's just a few of them. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all. What does all leave out? <laughs> Nothing. Everything on the earth, everything in the earth, everything on your little portion of the earth, it all belongs to God. Haggai chapter 2 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine. We can rephrase that a little bit different. Your money is mine. Money belongs to God. Look at Deuteronomy 8. But you shall remember the Lord your God. Listen to this. For it is He who is giving you power to make wealth. Our ability to draw a paycheck comes from God. It's all His. And folks, the way that you and I acknowledge God's ownership of those resources is to use it, spend it, give it, treat it as if it belongs to Him. We use it, spend it, and give it as He directs. Well, why? Because He owns it. And that leads right to the second principle. We're managers. 
If he's the owner, then that makes us managers of everything that we have. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, It is required of stewards or managers that we be found trustworthy. We're going to be measured. We're going to be judged as to our trustworthiness of how we use the resources God let us use. You know, I said... I said last week, we, last week we focused just on the tithe, the, the 10% giving. But I hope you remember me saying last week, folks, that's not all we're responsible to God for. It's not just the 10%. We are responsible to God for the whole 100%. I feel sorry for those pastors that are buying into this idea that you shouldn't talk to your church about giving. You shouldn't talk to your church about money. You shouldn't talk to your church about finances. Because what if you went before God one day, and you will... And he's, you stand before him and he says, I now this portion of the uh, test is to talk about everything you did with my resources. Well, what, what, what? what? What are we talking about? Well, nobody told me we were going to talk about this. You know what he's going to say? Who is your pastor? So, folks, I'm just being faithful to prepare you for what you'll stand before God and have to answer for. You know, maybe we need to uh, go out to the, to the mailbox. Go out to our mailbox and then just start working our way back to the house. Walk up the driveway there. Just look through the front yard. That's his. That's his. That's his. That's his. Go into the garage. That, 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 that. Well, everything in here is his. Go out into the backyard, into the shed. Yep, this is, this is his. This is his. This is his. Back into the kitchen. The living room. The bedroom's all his. Upstairs. Everything. This room. This room. This room. Into the attic. This is all his. And then maybe we need to take a little mental uh, transfer of ownership Hey, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I've been acting like this stuff belonged to me. I've been acting like the only person that mattered when we made decisions was, was me. Lord, I, I'm sorry, and I, I yield back your ownership of this stuff. Help me be a good manager of it. God's the owner. We're managers. And managers report to the owner. Managers give an account of profits, losses, balances, and savings. That's just the way the relationship works. Third thing we need to know, and as we have a proper understanding about our finances, is we need to be wary of who's in control of our life. Because one of them, one of them is going to be a God. Jesus says it this way in Luke 16. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You know, I got to think about this in my own life, and I thought... Well, sure you can. I I can appreciate both. I can enjoy both. I can love both. But you know what? I'm reminded then that the Scripture says, my heart is deceitful. It's going to lie to me. It's not going to keep me in balance. Folks, if we're not careful, one of these things is going to take ownership in our lives. One of them is going to take leadership. And we need to know which one. We need to know, is it God or is it money that's directing me? Is it God or is it money that I'm depending upon? Is it God or is it money that I'm looking to? Jesus says you better know which one is which. One is which. You better know which one is which. Fourth thing we need in a proper understanding is to know that we will manage best with a desire to honor the Lord with our resources. A verse that I used last week, Proverbs 3, 9. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. You remember last week I made a little to-do over that word first. That word first to me is a clear, and that's not the only verse. That, that idea of giving to God first is all throughout Scripture. That to me is a clear, definitive answer. Do I give on the gross or do I give on the net? Folks, to give on the net says the government's first. 
Now, I know the government has finagled a way in with our employer so that they get their cut before it ever touches our hands. I don't think that's fair, but that's the way it works. That's the way it is. But you know what? When I tithe on the net, I am telling the Lord, the government comes first. You come second. I don't think that's appropriate. That's not proper. That's not what I want to be saying to him. God, I give to you first and foremost. And that's where it moves from an action, giving to him first and foremost, to an attitude. Lord, as I approach anything in, the, in any area of my finances, first and foremost, I want an attitude of how do I honor you with this area of my finances? How do I honor you with these decisions that I'm making? When that is there, when that's placed, when I'm wanting to honor God, when I'm wanting to put God first, manages the financial management works out. You will land on your best decisions. You'll land on your best management. Fifth thing, we will manage best, listen to this, with a desire to be content. Very simple question. How much is enough? You know what? I'm not implying, I don't think the scripture implies that there's one answer to that question. I I don't think it implies that we should all have the same answer to that question. But you know what? We should have an answer. You know, if you have no answer, how much is enough, you know you'll never have enough. You know, you can, you can take your income today. And let's say today, let's say you're living at 105% of your income. You're, five, you're, you're spending over 5% more than you make every single month. You know what that means, don't you? Every month you're sinking a little bit lower. Every month it's getting a little bit more trouble. Did you know if I had the authority, if I had the power to double your income, I could double your income tomorrow morning. You walk into work starting right then. Your income is doubled. Did you know that within 12 to 18 months, you'll be living 5% over your income? Double it. Twice as much money. I mean, you know how tempting it is not to think? Boy, a little bit more sure would be nice. I, I, that, I think that all the time. A little bit more sure would help. A little bit more would not make a difference. In time, you'll have the same struggles, you'll have the same financial problems at whatever level that you're at right now. The issue is not the amount. The issue is the attitude. And do we start with an attitude of wanting to be content? You know, the word content or contentment is used seven times in the Bible. Six times it's in the area of money and finances. I like the way Paul talks about it here in Philippians 4. He says, not that I speak from want, For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul's had the opportunity, he's telling us here, he says, you know what? I've lived in poverty, and I've lived in wealth. I've had the opportunity to live in both. And I'm kind of grateful for that. It's given me some insight. I found out money doesn't make the difference. Well, when I think about the things that count in life, the things that are significant in life, poverty didn't affect that. Wealth didn't affect that. Money's not what enables meaning or purpose or value in life. It's not money that enables me to know God or to walk with God. It's not money that enabled me to do what God wants me to do in this world. And then he comes, and I don't put it on the screen, but he comes to Philippians 4.13. Maybe one of the most well-known verses in all the New Testament. Many of us have quoted it and right before a test or, or an athletic event or before a big meeting. Did you know this verse was all about money? I can do all things through money that enables me. No, Paul said, man, I've found out 
as I've dealt with finances, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's Christ that makes life possible, not money. That's the secret to contentment. Now, we've got five things here. I wouldn't say this is an exhaustive list. I certainly haven't shown you all that the Bible has to say about a proper understanding. But let me show you now how these five things begin to work, okay? I've got finances. I'll pull out my checkbook here. That's kind of representative. Of course, maybe today for most Americans, a credit card would be more representative of finances than what we actually have. But, but I got my checkbook here. Now, now, what these passages are telling me is that, is that as I come... Matter of fact, before I even open it, I mean, I've got to open it. I've, I've got checks to write. I've got bills to pay. But before I even do, as I approach this, I need to say, you know what? God owns everything inside here. And when I open it up, I better act like He owns it. I, I'm not the owner of this balance. I'm the manager of this balance. And as I open this up, boy, periodically, I need just to say, hey, Randy, who's in control here? What are you depending on? What are you looking to? I need to be mindful. My heart will deceive me. Uh, It'll lead me way down the road. I need to stop more than once periodically and say, who's God? Is it what's inside of here or is it Yahweh? Is it Jesus Christ? Boy, as I open this up, I need to ask myself, am I doing this in a way that honors Him? If somebody flips through here, is it clear I honor the Lord? He's God. As I approach this, am I thinking more, more, more? Or am I saying, God, as I open this up, help me to be content with what I find. Help me to to develop a philosophy, a lifestyle of contentment with what I have. So that's all just understanding. I mean, we're not talking about now what happens. And just developing a mindset and a heart as I approach this. Now, as I approach this, I do have to do something with it, don't I? I mean, there is an action list. I do have to start writing checks. And the scripture gives us a, a priority list for how we do that. First thing we should do with our money, send it to heaven. And that's one way of saying give, it, give to the Lord. That's the way Jesus said it one time in Matthew chapter 6. He said this, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says you need to send your money to heaven. Now, when you and I give, when we give to the church, when we give to the poor, when we give to to ministries that advance God's kingdom, that's how we do this. As a matter of fact, three things are happening when we give in those fashions. Number one, we're storing up treasures in heaven. Now, folks, you know what? I don't have a clue what that means. I mean, I I, I really don't. You know, if if I gave $100 today, does that mean I got like $100 in heaven now? How far does $100 go in heaven? Is there inflation? What, what does that mean? What, I mean, are we buying stuff? I, you know, I don't have a clue really what that means. But I know Jesus told me to do it. And I know I'm here for just a little while. I think I'm up there for like ever. You know, I don't want to get up there and have to make pennies work forever and ever and ever. I want to have a lot to work with. You see, this is what I'm saying, folks. When Jesus, when God speaks, it's for our benefit. I don't know what it fully means to have treasure in heaven. I know Jesus said, hey, listen, I know where you guys are going forever. You need to start storing stuff that way. You need to start sending it that way. So when we give, we're storing up treasures in heaven. Number two, we're fighting our tendency toward materialism. You know, we're physical beings. We're very enraptured with what we can see, feel, touch, smell, put our hands on. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to live all of life for the physical. 
We'll live all of life for the material. And when every, all of our finances start going that direction, guess what? So does our heart. And so pretty soon our heart, our mind are wrapped up in this world. So Jesus says, hey, there's like a little piece of sanity for you. Start sending some of your money to heaven. Let that orient and direct your heart. Let your heart get focused on God and the, and the things of God. Giving will enable you to do that. Giving will help you to do that. I think the third thing we do is we fight our tendency toward a false god. You know, we had that, that warning under a proper understanding. But, but how do we really battle that? If it's really a battle, man, you give. Let me tell you something. If you can't give, number one sign, your money's got a hold of you. Number one sign, something other than God is directing your financial life. The ability to give is a clear sign. This thing does not have a hold on me. I'm following God. I'm following the, the owner of this. So the first thing we do with our money is we send it to heaven. Second thing we do with our money, and this ought to be, be exciting because I've been saying for two weeks now, the Bible's not all about giving it to the church. It, it knows where you're living. Well, here's the second principle. Take care of your family. Yes, the Bible knows the practicality of you providing for and caring for your family. 1 Timothy 5.8 has a very challenging verse. It says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. Gosh, that's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? Like, gosh, Lord, that's not very nice. That's what he says, though, isn't it? Now, if God says it that strong, that must mean it is a real priority for God for you to have the priority of providing and caring for a family. By the way, I didn't put it up there, but you can go to the next chapter. Matter of fact, chapter 6, verse 8, and it defines what providing for a family looks like. It's providing food and shelter. So God says the second thing you're doing with your money is taking care of your family. The third thing you do is you pay your bills. Another very strong verse, Psalm 37, verse 21 says, The wicked borrows and does not pay. You know, a lot of times we think of borrowing as, you know, borrowing for the house or borrowing for the car. But, you know, we borrow all kinds of things. Right, this past month, I've borrowed electricity. Probably the next three or four days, I think Dominion's going to send me a little reminder. Hey, you've borrowed this from us. Now pay us. And, and we've got gas that works that way and, and food and, and cars and homes we borrow. You know what the Bible says to do that and not repay is wicked. Man, God wants us to have a priority of paying our bills. Now let me show you how these three things work, okay? I need some furniture. And man, they got this cool commercial that says if I'll come down and buy furniture at their place, they're going to let me have it for two years without paying for it. Isn't that nice? People are so nice, aren't they? So I go down there, and by the way, absolutely nothing wrong with buying furniture, absolutely nothing wrong with needing furniture. So I go down there, and I say, I need one of these, I need one of these, I need one of these, one of these. So they add it all up, says, my, you know what? That's only going to be $150 a month, interest-free. Man, that's great. Sign me up. I sign on the dotted line, $150. I can do that. Do you know when the average American signs on the bottom line and says, I can do that, you know what they mean? I can do that. This month. And as long as all is right and good and perfect for the next 23 months, this is perfect. Now, I don't know what world you live in, but in my world, nothing's perfect for 23 months. Matter of fact, the only thing you can count on for sure is something is going to break in the next 23 months. The insurance is going to go up in the next 23 months. And you're going to have bills you didn't plan on in the next 23 months. So, I've got three priorities. 
Okay? I mean, I need this furniture. I want this furniture. God, it's not a sin to buy this furniture. Nothing wrong with this. But I've got three priorities before I get that furniture. I want to store up money in heaven. That's number one. I want to be able to provide for my family, and I want to be able to pay my bills. So as I look at that $150 a month payment, does that payment bring me right up to the edge of my ability? Where if just somebody sneezes in my house, I can't pay that $150? And see, now all of a sudden, that one small $150 payment now jeopardizes my ability to store up treasure in heaven. Then it starts to jeopardize my ability to provide for my family. Then it starts to jeopardize my ability pay my bills so what I want to do is as I make wise decisions I don't want to do anything that takes me all the way out to the edge where if just one thing just one thing you know folks that's where most of us live greatest problem in finances in Americans is consumer debt you know what that means? stuff so what's happened is we've inverted the list now stuff is at the top And if I can see past the stuff, then I try to pay my bills. I try to provide my family. And by the time I get there, the Lord is wiped completely off the list. Man, we need to get that list back inverted. I'm not going to make any decision that jeopardizes my ability to store it in heaven, to provide for my family, to pay my bills. One last thing we need to do, and that is to work and to plan. Look at this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Boy, the Lord has some tough stuff to say, doesn't he? You don't work, you don't eat. God's plan is that we work. God's plan is that, why is God's plan that we work? So we can sort up in heaven. So we can provide for our family. So we can pay our bills. Look at this next verse, folks. I want to show you the power of the Bible. One verse, a proverb, very short, very simple. And this one verse totally in full explains the complete mortgage and credit crisis that America's in right now. One verse, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. How's that commercial go right now? I want it all! I want it all! That's a big screen TV, isn't that what that, that commercial is? That's the American financial philosophy. My work, my resources have nothing to do with anything. My want is the one single driver. And I do everything I can to get what I want right now. That's the financial philosophy. How do I get more? How do I get more and get it now? God's philosophy is no, you build wealth by saving, by planning, by discipline. I don't want to save. I don't want to have discipline. I don't want to work at it. I just want it now. That's why we have the mortgage crisis that we have. That's why we have the credit crisis that we have. You know, the American philosophy, if you could define the American philosophy of finances right now, because it used to be to work hard and save, didn't it? Today, the American philosophy of finances is pay dirt. That's how you build wealth. You look for a big payday with the insurance company. you, You look to hit it with the lottery. Or maybe you have one child who's going to come along and, and get the big athletic contract. And it's not going to happen, by the way. I mean, that's what we're banking on in America. I'm banking on some big payday where a big load of wealth just drops out of the sky. God says, if that's what you're waiting for, if that's your philosophy, and you're building the stuff while you wait for the money to drop out of the sky, you're going to land in poverty. 
God's plan is that we work, that we save, that we apply wise principles to our finances. And when we do, when we do, we build wealth here. Better yet, we build wealth there. God's plan is perfect. And it works. Now that's probably enough verses and points for today. That's, that's a heavy point sermon. Heavy verse sermon. Way past time. You know what, folks? Let me give you a couple of bottom line things. A couple of bottom line things. Number one, God's way is not a way. Folks, I'm not a financial advisor up here trying to sell you on a system that, that will you know, give you everything that you want and build wealth. God's way is not a way. It's the way. It's the way. Number two, you will be held accountable to do it God's way. You don't have to live like it. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to act like it. It will not change one thing. You will go stand before God and give an account. And that's the last point. We will have to give an account. We have to stand before Him because that's what managers do. That's the relationship we're in. We have to give an account of how we managed His resources. One question. One question. Are you ready to stand before God and answer for what you did with His money? Let's pray.